What a blessing to have you here today to study God's Word together. I want to say welcome again. If you're visiting with us, we're thrilled you're here. Um, I also want to say this. I know there's some that join us that aren't necessarily here today. What am I talking about? Those who are listening on the radio or those online. So we want to welcome you. Even though you're not present with us this morning, we want to welcome you and pray that God's Word would speak to your heart this morning. Just a quick word, last week we discussed gospel-centered gratitude, so we've been working through this in a serious way as an elder team. Um, We want to put feet to these words. We don't want to just preach these things, we want to live them out. So in a very real sense, we want to share gratitude with people that have poured their lives into this church. Um, From the inception back in 1962 till now, obviously the church looks a bit different than it did back in 1962, or 72, or 82, or 92. There's changes, there's transitions, but at the same time, our prayer is that we would share gratitude with those who've invested their lives into this ministry. So I want to invite you next week. Next week, we're going to spend some time soaking in the biblical topic of faith, faith in a big God. And I am stoked because who's sharing this with us is Pastor Royal Blue. He will be sharing with us from his heart next week as we celebrate Founders Memorial Sunday. Next week happens to be his 93rd birthday as well. So on his 93rd birthday, we are excited to hear God's heart expressed through God's man. Again, the church is a bit different, but I'm going to tell you, it's the same God. It's the same gospel. It's the same glory of God that we are pursuing and putting on splendor. It is the same faith. And our prayer is that we hear more about what God wants to do in our congregation to advance our faith. Through different stages of the church, how God has called this church to have great faith. Hey, God's not done with us. There are great things in store for this congregation. And by God's grace, we're going to take another step of faith and another step of faith. So I want to invite you to come by next week and glean from God's holy word in this topic of faith in a big God. But for now, would you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 1? If you're not there, would you take your Bibles, your devices, whatever you have in front of you, even your handout, you can turn it over. The passage is on the back. And we're going to soak in, we're going to study this passage this morning, saturate our lives in verses 9 through 11. Today we continue on our journey through this book. We've only been on this journey for three weeks now. The first two verses, we, we saturated ourselves in this concept of gospel-centered relationships. The takeaway is that God did not mean for us to live our spiritual lives on an island or in a tower. We are meant to interact with the body of Christ. We see that from the inception of this book, a very relational book, this Philippians. Paul, to a church he loves. People in Philippi who love Paul. And there's this deep relationship that is bonded together, not simply in past experiences, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What brings us together and what holds us together, it is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So we saw that in the first two verses. Flowing into the next verses, verses 3 through 8, last week we looked at gospel-centered gratitude. So really we've started to interact with this question. And I hope you have been asking this regularly to yourself. This is a question I like to interact with daily. 
Here's the question. In some form, asking ourselves regularly, has the gospel of Jesus Christ radically transformed every area of our lives? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed the way we see things in this world and the way we act in this world? Our perspectives, our interests, our priorities, our problems, our actions, our reactions. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed all of those? Every decision we make is influenced by the fact that when it comes down to it, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are simply sinners saved by God's amazing grace. Does that influence every decision we make in our lives, every person we talk to, every thought we think that Jesus Christ saved our souls? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about being gospel-centered. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ that promotes the glory and grace of Jesus Christ, this is the hub from which every activity in our lives circle. Everything we do is grounded in the fact that we are sinners saved by God's glorious grace. So today, we're going to continue that discussion. I hope you're ready. We're going to look at these next three verses and look at gospel-centered love. Love. Gospel-centered love. And if you look with me at verses 9 through 11, I'm not going to put it up here because you have it on your lap um, or on the back of your handout. Let's read together. You can follow along as I read these three verses, powerful verses. Verse 9, and it is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God okay so what is this what are we interacting with here very clearly in verse 9 this is Paul's prayer. It's a continuation of a prayer we started last week. Do you remember this last week? I mean, in fact, if you go up to verse 4, here's what verse 4 says. Paul says, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. All right, so Paul is continuing on this conversation. However, even as we see in the Lord's Prayer, there's some dynamic elements to prayer. One of them being gratitude thanksgiving another one being petition so what do we find in this passage paul is clearly transitioning from an attitude of gratitude now to a petition for the church a specific petition and what is his petition what is his primary petition from which all the next three verses flow from here it is it is my prayer that your love may abound okay so what's in a prayer you're like, what are you talking about? Prayer's just talking to God. Well, true. But let me kind of bring another aspect to this prayer. Okay, so if Paul is praying, I am praying to God, I am seeking God's face that you would grow in love, you would abound in love. This is much more than just a conversation with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? This comes with a very weighted expectation. In other words, here's what he's saying. I'm praying that you'll love, and you better do it. <laughs> what do I mean? Okay. 
very practical illustration. Um, we do this regularly as a family. You know, I'll drop my kid off at something, one of our kids off at something, and what are the words that come out of my mouth? Hey, Kara, I'm praying this for you. Okay, what does that mean? Not only does it mean that God is approaching, uh, and your, your dad is approaching God's throne of grace on your behalf, it means that there's going to be expectations for you at this event. This is a weighted request. Kara, we dropped her off. She spent several weeks up at Lassen, and she's loving it up there. I'll, I'll go and I'll say, Kara, here's my prayer. My prayer is that you serve Jesus well at camp, that you listen well, that you show respect to your leaders. Okay, what's going to happen when I pick her up? That prayer comes with an element of accountability, right? Hey, how'd you do? It wasn't simply God approach, or Andrew, the dad, approaching God's throne of grace on her behalf. It came with a weighted expectation. Okay, my son David, or my, my daughter Sela, dropping him off at soccer practice. Hey, David, I'm praying for you, buddy. I'm praying that you go all out today. There's no holding back, buddy. You listen to your coaches, you're teachable, you work hard on your skills, and you've got an hour and a half to raise the bar on your soccer skills. I'm praying for you, buddy. Okay, that comes with an element of expectation. What's going to happen at the end of the practice? Hey, David, how'd you do? There's accountability to it, right? Our daughter, Eva. Okay, we have this conversation almost weekly. <laughs> when we come into church, right? Maybe some of you have the same conversation, our little five-year-old. We're, walk, we're getting out of the car, walking in, and some point during that walk, you'll generally hear Eva's dad, me, saying, Eva, I'm praying for you today. What am I praying for? I'm praying that she listens to her teachers well. That she doesn't talk everybody's ear off in the congregation. That she gives hugs to the older people in the church, but she doesn't kill them. All right? She will squeeze your head off if you give her a chance. And so my prayer is when we come to church, Eva, I'm praying for you, little five-year-old, that you realize that church is not all about you, sister that you enjoy the body of Christ, but there's an element of expectation in that prayer. And guess what? In a very loving way, when we get back in the car, I'm going to ask, hey, how'd you do today, sweetie? Why? Because prayers come with an element of expectation. So, in this passage, Paul's prayer, he's, it's almost like he's disguising it as a prayer, <laughs> but guess what? It comes with a massive amount of expectation. What's Paul's prayer? that you love, and this, this love abounds, that it overflows. So what comes to mind when you think of this thought, love may abound? Very clearly, he says this. Here's my prayer, my expectation that your love would abound. We talked about this last night with the kiddos. And what came to mind was cups overflowing, what came to mind is waterfalls fallen, and that's the exact picture that should come to our minds. When we think of abounding, we're thinking of overflowing. That's what Paul is talking about. So when we come to this concept, a lot of times this is what should come to mind. Love that's not stopped. There's so much of it that it overflows. We're talking about biblical love, okay? So some of you who enjoy talking about this, this would be the word agape. This is the sacrificial way of Christ. I think some 
obsess too much on the differences of those words in the New Testament, but I think there's a very clear argument that this agape is a word not generally used in the culture, in the Greco-Roman culture, but emphasized in a massive way in the Christian culture. Why? Because this type of love involves sacrifice. This type of love is not about how big I can make myself look. It is how much I can show sacrifice to you. We know a lot of this word love because we see it all the way through the scriptures. Jesus talks regularly of this love. This love is not based simply on emotions, right? So when we talk about love in our current culture, a lot of times it's based on how am I feeling, right? This love is not necessarily based on how you feel. It is a choice to be made. To live a sacrificial love of Christ to someone else. Paul says that the Christian love is to overflow. This is the clear call of a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus, prior to going to the cross, remember what he says. John 13. By this shall everyone know that you're my disciples, if what? You have love one for another. This is the call of Jesus. Now, Paul is following it up with a very clear prayer. My prayer is that your love would abound, would overflow. So, when I see this, I think, awesome. But there's still Monday morning. <laughs> what am I talking about? All right, I'm going to tell you, this, this is awesome. And Jesus talks of it. Paul prays for it. But I don't always live this way. And maybe I'm the only one in this room. But when Monday morning happens, this is not how I'm feeling. Some mornings I get recharged by the word and I'm excited to show the love of Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? Lunch comes. And by lunchtime, my overflowing love has turned into more of a peaked out lake, right? Just kind of settled there. Uh, by dinner time, guess what happens? I go from this to well, maybe it'll change. Could you advance that one? Yeah. This. You with me? By the end of the day, it's like, oh man, that overflowing love. It's like a dried up pond where the overflowing waterfall is just spurting out water everywhere. You're lucky if at the end of the day, you might get a little splash of love from dad, right? You understand what I'm saying? This is real life. The struggles we go through. And I want to be clear that I believe this is why Paul is bringing this up in a prayer form. What is he saying? I'm praying for you on this. And as we walk through and develop this, we find very clearly this is something that doesn't always happen in the life of a believer, but this is what we're growing towards. We're growing to love, to abound in love. We're growing to see Jesus Christ lifted up, to see his love passed on. One of the best illustrations I found is of a fall. Uh, we like waterfalls. We love waterfalls. Um, some of you have taken us to some really cool ones recently in Northern California. But about 350 miles south of here, there's a fall that I really want to go to, Yosemite Falls. Have anybody been there? Has anybody been to Yosemite Falls? Okay. So from what I read about, I haven't actually seen it, but what I read about is in the spring runoff, it's more towards the left. But by the end of the summer, you're more like that on the right. 
Or maybe there's a little trickle down the side of the mountain. And you know what I think of when I see that? I think, yeah, that's me every day. Where I'm so excited, I mean, maybe it's seasons of my life, but so excited to express the love of Christ, but after three or four hours of, of real life, real flesh, I'm the, I'm the view on the right. Maybe spitting out a little bit of love here and there ready to be filled up again. That is why this is a prayer. So what we find today is this prayer from Paul looking at a church he loves and saying, church, I'm praying that your love would gush, that your love would overflow. Even in those times you feel like the picture on the the right, you would see God by his grace allow you to make a choice to be the flood on the left, to be the fall on the left. So let's walk through this a little bit. I want us to take some time this morning and see what this is talking about. To develop this concept, Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. This love, as we're going to see this morning, is gospel-centered love. This gospel-centered love is overflowing love, it is validating love, and it is empowered love. What am I talking about? Well, let's start with the first one. It is overflowing love. God's gospel-centered love. There it is right there. It's overflowing love. Look with me at verse 9. It is my prayer that your love would abound, and then he continues the discussion. He doesn't stop there. More and more, he says. Okay, in my mind, I think, Paul, that is pretty good. You said your love would overflow, and you could stop the discussion there. And this is my prayer that your love would overflow. He continues on. And he uses terms in the Greek that, that he's saying that it would abound, but it wouldn't stop abounding. It would keep on keeping on. It would keep growing. So when we talk about this love, it is very clearly a love that grows. What's the basic idea here? Basically, love is one choice at a time. What are we talking about? You know what it's going to take for you to abound in love today? You know what it's going to take for me to abound in love today? One choice and another choice, and another choice. You know what it's going to take for us to abound in love when we see people in the body of Christ that we're like, oh boy, we got a history. (laughs) Oh boy, those people, that person isn't as easy to love. You know what it's going to take in the body of Christ? A choice right now to abound in love, to live the love of Christ. When Paul says, I pray that your love would abound yet more and more. Basically, the concept is it's not one and done. Basically, the concept is not this. I showed you love, check. Come back around next year about this time, and I'll check off again that I showed you love. That's not this concept of biblical love in the body of Christ. Biblical love in the body of Christ does not have these restrictions on it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Check, I showed love to this group of people. I did my duty as a believer. Love in the body of Christ is to overflow. It is to be constant. It is to grow. As soon as you think you can't express more love, that is where by God's grace, you show another aspect of love. It is an active love. You show another expression of love and another expression of love and another and another. That is this love. Not only is this love a growing love, it is a learning love. What am I talking about? Well, look at the passage. He said, Paul says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. 
Knowledge and all discernment. Let's start with that one, knowledge. What is, he, what is this knowledge? Well, I think teens that were at camp this week heard a little bit of this word. <laughs> knowledge is the word epigenosis. Do you guys remember that word from camp? Some of the teachings that happens, right? All right, some guys infatuate about that, but the simple idea is this. It's experiential. A lot of times it's talking about experiencing something. Not just knowing it in your head, but living it out. And Paul says, my prayer is that your love would abound more and more in knowledge. Okay, what are we talking about here? I think in this passage, there's a beautiful synchronization of knowledge of God and knowledge of the believers. What do I mean? Paul in Philippians 3.10 says, that I may know him. He wants to know Jesus Christ. But very clearly in the same passages, he's saying, I don't want to just know Christ. I want to know other believers. I want to study them. What is this love all about? You know what this love is all about? It's finding people in the body of Christ that you know and you study. You're able to show them love. You're able to identify the body of Christ and realize that it's not all about me and my family. It's about the person on the far side of the auditorium that's hurting today. It's the person that walks in that hasn't talked to anybody in three weeks, but no one knows because they walk out right away afterwards, but their heart is tearing out of their chest because they're working through some very dark things in their lives. This is that type of love. The love that says, because I know Christ, I'm going to seek to know you. I'm going to study you. I'm going to see what ways I can possibly show you love. And I think that carries right on into the next term. He says that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now that idea of discernment a lot of times in our minds, we travel right to the context of 1 Thessalonians where it says discerning good and bad. I don't think that's necessarily the meaning here. This word discernment is more of one in the sense of perceiving. I'm going to perceive something here. It's not a matter of trying to figure out which is good and bad, although I can, I can understand where different commentators will come to that understanding. But here's the idea of believe in this passage. When you come and we gather together, my love is overflowing so much that I'm seeking to know people. I'm seeking that person on the other side of the room. I'm perceptive. I can tell when there's someone in the body of Christ that, that is hurting I think the scripture says we perceive, we discern so much, we learn so much of Christ that we embrace the ways of Christ. And what is the way of Christ? Walking through a crowd of people stopping and saying, who touched the hem of my garment? Walking through a crowd and seeing someone sitting over there blind, walking to them, how can I help you? The way of Jesus Christ is that we learn each other, we perceive each other, okay? In a very practical way. I try to relate a lot of things to sports. <laughs> For me, it's soccer. As a player and then as a coach, there was a term, and there is a term that I use quite often. It's this term, be filled aware. As a young dude playing soccer, coaches would yell at this to me, Andrew, be filled aware. What in the world does that mean? All right, there's some soccer players that'll come together and the ball comes to them and you know what they see? They see five feet around them. That's all they see on the field. All they see is the immediate defender, and their game is restricted to five feet around them. All they see is this bubble right around them. And the coach will yell, be field aware. What does he mean? 
To be field aware means to open my ears and hear the coach and other players and then to get my head up and see what's happening 50 yards away. To see the player on the opposite side of the field making this run into this space so I can kick the ball to him. To see the forward checking away from the ball and then checking back to the ball. Not standing there like, hey, I've been here for two seconds now and you didn't give me the ball. What do I mean? Field aware means I recognize more than just what's happening in my row at church. Field aware means I'm ha- I understand what's happening more than just my group of tight friends. Field aware realizes that there's people in the congregation here that need to be invited out to lunch today. Field aware says there's people here today that need you to get their number and to text them this week and say, hey, how you doing? They need you to call them this week and say, hey, what's going on in your life? I can tell there was a burden in your heart this week. You know what Paul says? This is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and all perception, that you would see that the body of Christ has needs and that we would realize it's not all about me. It's not all about my tight group. It's about expressing the, the love of Christ to the entire body. All right, Paul continues to develop this now. I love this. He continues to talk about this love, but in a very creative way, because a lot of times, and I see this in a very practical way with my kids, if I'm explaining something to them, maybe you're explaining something to your family member, you want to give reasons for it. Paul says, I'm praying that you would abound in love. And very naturally, we now transition into verse 10. And verse 10 is the reason, it's the purpose. Okay, so I know there's a couple of them out here because you come and talk to me about this afterwards. But there's some of those that, those Greek nerds that enjoy talking about the syntax of these passages. This is cool because even in the construction, it's called isotope plus the infinitive, you see this means through the scripture's purpose or result. And what is Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. There's a purpose for me telling you this. There's a purpose behind your love overflowing. What is this purpose? Here's the purpose, is that your life would match your claims. Your life would validate what you're talking about. Look at the text with me, would you? In this I pray, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. And here we go. In order that you may approve what is excellent so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless till the day of Christ. What is happening here? Paul is saying the purpose of your abounding love is simply to authenticate that your story is real, that your life is real, that you are the real deal when it comes to Christianity. How does he say this? He says this, Love that proves what really matters, so that you may approve what is excellent. Abound in love. Why? So that your life would approve what is excellent. Well, what does that mean? The word approve means to put to the test. It means to examine. It means to really genuinely see if this is authentic. Paul is saying, let your love abound so that you would put something to the test. What is to be put to the test? What is excellent? What does that mean? What is worth more? What is more valuable? By living and abounding in the love of Christ, you know what we are doing every day? We're proving what's more valuable in this life. 
In the body of Christ, when we're abounding in love, we're proving that something is more worth, has more worth than my preference on carpet. <laughs> There's something that's more important than my choice of clothing for the day. <laughs> There's something massively more important than my preference in life, and what is it? It is the souls of those sitting around me. It is the lives of those sitting around me. And Paul says, here's what's going to happen. When you abound in love, you are putting to the test what really matters. You are ab- your abounding love proves, I mean, honestly, here's what he's saying. Your abounding love proves that Christianity works. Have you ever thought about that? When you abound in love, when I abound in love to a skeptical world around us that is constantly looking at us and saying, is that the real deal? Do they really mean it? You know what abounding love does to a world, a skeptical around us, or even to skeptical believers in the midst, in the congregation? You know what it does? It says to them that this love of Christ is the real deal. When I am bound in love, I am proving what really matters in life. I'm putting to test, to the test, what really matters. He says more about this. This is love that proves what really matters, and this is love that endures in genuineness. How does he say it? So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The idea of pure is that you would be sincere. You'd be without hidden pretense or motives. You'd be spotless and genuine. By the way, just a question. I'm sure we see this all the time, and I'm sure we work through this. If you're like me, I work through this all the time in my own life. Is it possible to share expressions of love from a wrong motivation? Absolutely. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? This this blows my mind when I read 1 Corinthians 13, because he says it's possible to give my body to be burned and still not have love. It is possible to give all that I have to feed the poor and still not be motivated by a true love. You know what Paul is saying here? The sacrificial love is not about all about me. The sacrificial abounding love is all about God's glory. And when it abounds in my life, it proves what is sincere. It puts to test what really matters, that you would be pure and blameless. The word blameless means without offense or not damaging or tripping up. Not tripping up believers. Um, one of my favorite groups to, to coach is the little six-year-olds. And sometimes they realize that soccer is more fun when you run around and trip people. <laughs> You got the ball. I don't care about that ball. I'm going to go trip you up. And you watch these kids face planting all over the place. And you go find that little kid, a little rogue kid, and you're like, dude, you cannot do that in soccer. But I'm going to tell you, that's not too different than what happens in the body of Christ sometimes. (laughs) Where there's believers that it seems like they're looking for someone to trip up. Looking for someone to get in a squabble with. And Paul is saying in this passage, your abounding love proves genuine. It, it proves that you could be blameless till the day of Christ. What is he saying? Christ's glorious return for the church. In other words, you're going to one choice at a time prove that God's love is worth it. You're going to one choice at a time prove that Christianity is real. One choice at a time, and before you know it, 
just like we looked at last week, you're going to look back at your life and you're going to think, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work finished the good work. That love that I started with (coughs) back when I was a teenager, that love that I started back with back when I was a a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, guess what? That love is endured by God's grace all the way to the end. It's authentic. This is the real deal. So what's Paul saying? My prayer is that your love would abound. This is overflowing love. But what's the purpose for that? That you would prove what really matters in life. What really matters in life is not my preference. What really matters in life is the love of Jesus Christ, driven by the word of Jesus Christ. So, and he says one more thing I think that it's important to to bring out in this text. This love is overflowing love. This love is validating love. And this love is empowered love. Okay, so if you're like me, we're looking at this text and you're like, yeah, right. (laughs) That I would overflow in love more and more. Right. How is that ever going to happen in my life? Maybe for portions, but for the most part, it's like that's a real struggle for me. I can't do it. And I think that's the exact conclusion that Paul wants us to come to here. You try to live this love on your own, you're not going to be able to do it. What's the empowering factor here? What is going to keep us going in this love every day? I think this is found clearly in verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What's the empowering factor here? This is love that is enabled by Christ himself. I think as you work through this, it it might be even better said, having been filled with the fruit which comes from righteousness. In other words, those who've come to Jesus by faith have been filled with this righteousness. We've interacted with this righteousness. Honestly, just like we talked about last week, this joy, this joy that we want to live out is impossible without the Spirit working in our lives. This love, this Christ-centered love is impossible without Christ changing our hearts. I think Paul clearly says this in this verse, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. What's the point? This abounding love is only possible through a late relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He is the only righteous one. If in our minds we run back to the church of Philippi, Lydia, the seller of purple, you can't adequately love the body of Christ in Philippi if Christ hadn't changed your heart. Philippian jailer, this gruff dude, remember? We talk of him often, sitting in the middle row, just kind of like, yeah, right? How are you going to live the love of Christ to the church of Philippi? It is only through the empowering work of a changed heart that you can live this Christ love. The others in this community, driven by this Roman military method of thinking, which says, this honor system says, it's all about me and my status. Paul writing to these people and saying, you know what? The only way you're going to be able to live this is through the fruits of Christ's righteousness being born out in your life. You cannot live this way on your own. Very clearly, Paul recognizes this in Galatians chapter 5. Remember what's found in Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit, and what's the first one mentioned? Love. 
This love is a fruit of Christ's righteousness in our hearts. So when I look at this passage, I'm like, right, how do I wake up tomorrow morning and abound in love and make one choice of love after another choice of love after another choice of love? Here's how. It's through Jesus Christ, obeying Jesus Christ in my heart. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, compelling me to love and me obeying the word of God, obeying Christ, every choice, all the way through the day, saying, I'm going to love you, even if that's the hardest thing I've done all week, I'm going to show you love. That's what the scripture says. So, this is love that is enabled by Christ, but it doesn't stop there, does it? This is also love that is motivated by God's glory. What's the empowering factor for this abounding love? What's going to make it work in our lives? Here's what's going to make it work in my life tomorrow morning when I get up. In your life when you have to go to work and see that person that you can't stand. When you come to the body of Christ, you realize there's some that have really hurt you. When you go home after work and you're like, there's no way I can show this love to my kids. My pond is dried up. How are we going to do it? We're going to realize that this is to the glory and praise of God. What's the passage say? Filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What are we talking about? We're talking about putting God's glory, God's majesty on display. What's one of the motivating factors for us abounding in love? That when people see us, they don't think how good of a person I am. When a person sees me and the love that I can show to someone else, it's not how good you are, Andrew Scott. It's how good God is to change a wretched soul, a wretched heart. What's the motivating factor in the body of Christ to serve each other and to love each other? Very clearly in this passage, it is that God is glorified. It is that God is made to shine. It is that Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel is high and lifted up. This is that love. This is love that is motivated by God's glory. We need to wrap this up this morning with this key idea. Because God has radically changed our lives, we should overflow with Christ's love. A lot of words this morning for this simple phrase. We should overflow with Christ's love. And this I pray that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all perception. Because we are sinners saved by God's grace alone, by his amazing love, we should abound in love every single day with every single action. So the questions are this as we leave here today. So what? So what? How's this going to make any difference? Paul's prayer to the church of Philippi. How does this translate 2,000 years later to a person like myself whose pond is dried up regularly? (laughs) That love quota is met all the time. How am I going to abound in love? First of all, the question is this. Have you experienced Christ's love? What do I mean? Has Jesus Christ changed your heart? I don't want to take for granted that there's one sitting here today that's never come to Jesus Christ in faith. There's a Philippian jailer about to take his own life in Acts 16 from Philippi. And what does Paul say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be rescued. Let me ask you this. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? 
Has he ever changed your heart, given you a, a new heart that is capable of loving this way, the love of Christ? Let's ask another question. Not only have you experienced Christ's love, but this. Are we overflowing in Christ's love? Okay, here's the simple question today. Put yourself on that sports field. Are you field aware? Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you aware of what's going on in the body of Christ? Are you aware of ones that have come into the congregation this morning hurting? Are you aware of those through the week that can barely get out of bed in the morning because of the depression, the doubt that they're working through in their lives? Are you aware of these people who need a phone call, who need a text just to someone to say, hey, I love you. I love you in the Lord. Can we walk together through this? Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me remind you as we walk through this passage very clearly, we're not meant to live our lives on an island or in a tower. We're meant to interact in the bounding love of Christ with each other. So the question is this, are we overflowing in Christ's love? Is our love discerning? Are we making regular choices not to just splash out a little bit of love here and there, but to overflow in God's love? That church, guess what it's going to take? One choice of love at a time. You know, as you go through Scripture, especially in Ephesians, it says to speak the truth in love. Very clearly, this is not what we call a sloppy agape. (laughs) All right, no grounds to this love. This is love that is grounded in the Scriptures. Let me ask you this. Do you abound in this love? Do you overflow? Are you making regular choices around the body of Christ to show love to this person and that person, even the unlovely? Regular choices at home. Pastor, you don't know the people I live with at my house. (laughs) You don't know the struggles I have sometimes with my spouse. You don't know the struggle I have with my teenage kid. You don't know that struggle. Well, maybe I don't, but I know a God who does know that struggle you're going through right now. And I know that he calls to every one of us in this room to let our love, to make a choice by his grace to have our love abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, all discernment at home, at church, at work, in the community, with our wife, with our husband, with our kids. Paul very clearly says this. It is my prayer that your love would abound more and more. So God, that's our prayer today. I look at this congregation, and I'm so thankful for the so many in this congregation that abound in love. But I also realize, Father, that there's seasons in our lives when that seems to dry up. Oh God, my prayer for the congregation this morning is that we would make one choice of love after another choice of love after another choice of love, that we would abound in this love of Christ. That is our prayer this morning.